it's time to unmute menopause. Hello, and welcome back to Menopause Unmuted, a podcast series sponsored by Pfizer. Menopause is a major transition in life, with many changes and a lot to learn. And that's not just for the women experiencing it, but also for the partners, family, and friends who join us on our journey through life. But that road doesn't need to be a lonely one. We're here to help make that easier by listening to how other women have navigated their menopause journeys. The fact that menopause is becoming a more acceptable word and that there's more out there available to women as far as education and knowledge uh, is empowering and really helps people to make decisions on how they want to deal with menopause in their body. I would tell women, find your tribe. Make sure that you have a a circle of like-minded people that will support you, that will support your journey through menopause and also support your journey in life. I'm your host, Mary Jane Minkin. I'm an obstetrician-gynecologist and clinical professor at Yale University School of Medicine. This season, we are focusing on relationship issues, which we all know can present some challenges. But here we are celebrating the partnerships, care, and support of families and friends. And as well as the individual stories, which I know so many of you have been enjoying, we're creating some extra bonus content to go into more depth on a few of the specific health issues connected to menopause. If you're a subscriber, that will appear straight into your Menopause Unmuted feed, however you get your podcasts. Today, we're going to listen to Mary Beth. And then I thought about it later when I realized what was going on, like she was probably going through menopause at that time and having those really, really heavy periods that I ended up experiencing myself. So when I reflected back on that, thinking like I was super awkward in puberty and she was in like this turmoil of menopause and we just really didn't connect at that point. As many women who are currently in midlife will understand, Attitudes to women's health issues have changed dramatically over the last 50 or so years. And when we enter perimenopause, it can often make us reflect on the kind of experience our mothers and grandmothers had. That's an important factor in Mary Beth's story today. So let's unmute her menopause. Hi, I'm Mary Beth, and I am a yoga teacher and nutrition consultant and health coach. And I help Women these days work with nourishing their bones and strengthening their bones and not fearing their bones as they age so that they can live a long life of, of health and wellness and independence. So I'm 57 and I live in California with my husband and our seven-year-old dog, Henry, and who we love to walk up and down the hills in, in our area and enjoy the the fresh outdoors and go to farmer's markets and cook really good food and enjoy this this area as much as we can. Well, my experience was I was going through perimenopause really unbeknownst to me. (laughs) It's one of those things that kind of creeps up on you. It, um, you know, I was in my late 40s and started to feel really, really achy and I didn't necessarily have a lot of hot flashes or anything, but I just couldn't understand why I was so achy. That was my number one sort of symptom of something was changing. And then my periods got 
really, really heavy, like extremely heavy. And they've never been like that before. So it seemed like every time I went to visit my daughter down in LA, I was having my period and I couldn't go out and have fun with her because I was just so miserable with my, my heavy period. Mary Beth brings up two really important areas that can significantly affect women, heavy bleeding and achiness. Often people don't realize that these can be related to menopause. Ovaries make many hormones, but the most important for reproduction are estrogen and progesterone. During the menopause transition, production of both of these hormones gradually reduces. Progesterone limits the unchecked growth of the lining of the uterus. Without it, you can keep growing the uterine lining, which can then start shedding without any control. So the wacky periods are a function of loss of progesterone production. Now, the achiness, we think that's related to lack of estrogen. Many women are aware that osteoporosis, which is true bone loss, can be associated with the loss of estrogen too, but this achiness doesn't seem to be related to osteoporosis. And achiness complaints vary all over the world. For example, in the Philippines, achiness is the number one complaint of menopausal women, not hot flashes. Whereas in the U.S., we do see some women who are really achy, but not as many. In the U.S., hot flashes are the number one complaint. How we think and talk about issues like heavy bleeding can often be shaped by experiences from much earlier in life, and that is true for Mary Beth. I'm postmenopausal now, and thinking back, my first experience with menopause was when I was a teenager and my mom was going through menopause, unbeknownst to me. When I was going through puberty, it was extremely self-conscious and you know awkward and um, uncomfortable and <laughs> and I knew nothing about any of this stuff. I barely barely knew about periods at that point, really. But my mom one time asked me to, I distinctly remember her asking me to go down to the store. She had a coupon and I had to go buy her this huge package of maxi pads. And the maxi pads back then, this was probably mid seventies. And, you know, the maxi pads back then were, were maxi. They were about an inch or so thick. And so a package of them was huge and it would stick outside the grocery bag. And we lived in a small town and I would have been able to walk down to the grocery store to get this for her, but I would, would have been mortified walking home that two or three blocks back home with this package of maxi pads sticking out of the bag. I just couldn't do it. I refused to do it. And she just really needed it, but I refused to do it because I was so mortified by the fact that I would have to admit that women have periods, right? And so... So I didn't do it. And then I thought about it later when I realized what was going on, like she was probably going through menopause at that time and having those really, really heavy periods that I ended up experiencing myself. So when I reflected back on that, thinking like I was super awkward in puberty and she was in like this turmoil of menopause and we just really didn't connect at that point. And I didn't, I didn't help her. She didn't have any help during this. You know, she didn't have any girlfriends or, you know, neighbors or friends that they would all kind of support each other during this phase. And I certainly wasn't very helpful myself. The foundations of communication can strengthen with every generation. 
Mary Beth goes on to explain the past challenges with communication in her family. However, I think that communication has become more open over the entire course of the 20th now into the 21st century, that topics that were really not talked about at all, say in the early part of the 20th century, have become more commonplace, certainly with modes of communication going from radio to TV to uh, internet, and I think that's a good thing. So my mom was raised by her grandmother, and her grandmother was sort of a Victorian woman, and it was just her as a widow and my mother in the home, and they never really spoke about womenly things, even more so than you would in 1970s. You know, you don't talk about anything. So when my mother first had her period, she shared with me that her grandmother didn't even say anything about it. My mother thought she was hemorrhaging and bleeding to death. She didn't know anything about periods. And my grandmother just gave her whatever they used back then and said, take care of it. So she had to sort of figure it out on her own. So I think at that point, my mother must have decided that she was going to make it different for her daughter. So she was very um, open about when the time came, when we had periods. She was very helpful in helping us figure it out, but I was kind of late in getting my period. I didn't have my period, my first period, until I was almost 16, and my mother was kind of worried. But in the meantime, all of my girlfriends, my friends were having their periods, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15. They were all having periods, and and I, you know, I still was kind of like, I don't know what this is about. But my best friend came over to play one day when we go swimming in our pool, and she actually said she wasn't. She didn't want to swim. And I said, what do you mean? It's a beautiful day out, sunny. Let's go swimming. No, no, I don't want to swim. And she was just acting kind of weird. And my mother happened to be there when we were having this little argument about whether she wanted to go in the pool or not. And my mother said, Marie, come here for a minute. And so she took her over to the bathroom and, and apparently Marie had just had her period and hadn't told her mother And my mother took her under her wing and showed her how to use the pad and kind of helped her through that day. And I was like, wow, it didn't, you know, it was a very touching thing to know that my mom could be that supportive. And and I was just clueless, you know, (laughs) why don't you want to go swimming? But my mom really supported my friend Marie. And to this day, Marie remembers this story. It is really interesting to me as a practitioner to hear about what mothers tell their daughters. This often comes up in answering a question I raise. At what age were women in your family when they went through menopause? There are some familial tendencies, and so family history gives you some predictability. However, many of my patients give me a look. My mother, menopause. We didn't discuss those issues. So my standard rejoinder is, ah, your mother was just like Queen Victoria, who clearly never must have gone through menopause, or at least she never discussed it. Mary Beth holds an interesting position within her large family. She's at an intergenerational crossroads. Her eldest sister was a teenager when she was born, and that gives her a unique perspective. It's funny, I was thinking about this with my older sister, um, who's 16 years older than me. So when she's always been very calm, cool, very nice and friendly, you know, she's just a non-unflappable person. And then there was a time in her life that she got really irritable, like things were 
she was very snippy. <laughs> I couldn't understand what was going on. Like, wow, she's suddenly very snippy and very short-tempered. And then it occurred to me that, wow, oh, she's going through that change. They called it the change, right? And so that was my experience with that. But but she didn't really talk about it. We didn't have a sister-to-sister talk about it. Nothing like, oh, watch out when you get to this stage or nothing like that. There was nothing shared about that. And actually, I just had lunch with her daughter last week, and we were talking about menopause because my niece is now through menopause. She said that her mom wasn't very helpful. I was more helpful to her than her mom because her mom didn't remember and didn't really think there was anything to share special about it. You just went through it, you know. But she and I shared a lot because that was my also my mission. Once I started realizing that, you know, that that situation with my mom having her period and me not purchasing her her sanitary napkins and then I was like oh this is terrible we need to talk about this more you know so I've been on this mission to talk about it more with with anybody who listen really but you know especially close friends and family my daughter my niece you know there's things that we need to be aware of and just just knowing that it's happening and knowing that it's normal I can empathize with Mary Beth and her family. When I was a kid, my best friend's mother was a lot older than the mothers of most of our friends, and we were always afraid to ask her if our friend could go and do something with us because we knew she was always cranky. I, of course, only realized much later in life that my friend's mom was a perimenopausal woman and didn't feel well much of the time. I think the most challenging aspect of menopause is... um, is the lack of control over your body. Like I think over your period of life or your the phase of life where you're having your periods that you get into this rhythm and you are trying to arrange your life around when you're having your period or, you know, or using certain, you know, methods of control around that. And then when you go through menopause, all of that goes out the window. It's very erratic. Again, it's like reminding me of when I was a teenager and it was first starting and it was all erratic and you could have it pretty much at any moment and not really know that you were going to be having it. Um, I think that was the thing. It's like the lack of control. Like it's, you have to just ride the waves and let it, let it happen because you, you can't change it. It's going to happen. This is Menopause Unmuted, where we talk about real women's menopause stories. I'm your host, Mary Jane Minkin, and if you'd like to find out about participating in a future episode, visit menopauseunmuted.com. That's also where you can get more information about menopause, or you can talk to your healthcare provider. Many women do make big changes in their lives at this time, often to better align with their changing view of life. I do find that many ways menopause is like pregnancy, that just as women do with pregnancy, they find it's a good time to make changes in their health and their lives for the better. Mary Beth was one of them. Let's see how Mary Beth was able to make some of these changes in direction, which really helped her take control. So as I was going through my career in publishing and teaching yoga, at the same time, my brother got sick and he he had cancer of the throat. Um, and I said, isn't anybody helping you 
with nutrition? And he said, no, only you. And at the time, I wasn't a nutrition consultant. I didn't know anything about formally about nutrition. But I'd been sort of helping myself with nutrition get through some ailments. So um, this really just frustrated me beyond that he wasn't getting this support. And he ultimately, he passed away. So I went to nutrition school also on the side while I was still having this career. And then it all kind of culminated that when I was going through menopause that, you know, this is the time to make a change, to really do something that that fulfills me and also it has a purpose in the world that I'm supporting other people with their health and their wellness and their choices that they make. Nutrition is key to a good menopause transition. We know that women who are significantly overweight suffer from significantly worse hot flashes than slim women. It seems that hot flashes are generated centrally in the body's core, and that fat tissue acts like insulation in not letting the heat get out. By the way, smokers also have a tougher time with hot flashes. Both losing weight and stopping smoking are good for your health and also will make your symptoms a lot better. Weight-bearing exercise also can improve bone health. That's an issue that's very present in Mary Beth's mind. And when you change careers like this, you know, I could be teaching yoga or doing nutrition for, um, for anybody. But at that same time was when I got diagnosed with osteopenia. And I was quite concerned about that because um, I have a family history of osteoporosis. And my mother's mother, I just recall when I was six years old, my mother's mother fell and broke her hip and she went into the hospital. And then the next thing I know, the family's talking about how grandma died. And I was like, whoa, you break a hip and you die. And, and you know, that's sort of how I remember it as a six-year-old. And it turns out, I find out later on, she ended up having a heart attack in the hospital, which is not uncommon also if you break a hip. And she was only 61 at the time, I find out. You know, for me in my mind, when I was six years old, she was my grandma. She was really old. Now here I am, 57, and my grandma was 61 when she died from this. So it's pretty, you know, eye-opening. So when I found out I had osteopenia, I was like, okay, I'm pretty young for that to be happening, but it's not unusual for those of us who go through menopause to lose, like, 20% of our bone from the loss of estrogen. So I started putting all the pieces together, doing more weight-bearing poses with my yoga and changing my nutrition to have a lot more of the minerals and protein. And um, there's a lot of different things. And then I had been many years before that working on more of my own emotional and mental health, you know, keeping calmer during bouts of, you know, stressful situations. And um, all this helps to give your bones sort of a fighting chance to stay strong rather than offloading all of the minerals into um, helping, helping your body in this state of, you know, whether it's inflammation or stress or things like that. So now I'm decided that this is this is probably a good idea that I focus on <laughs> helping women with osteopenia and osteoporosis using yoga and nutrition um, as sort of the mainstay of, of supporting them um, through this process of, of maintaining their skeleton as best they can for the rest of their life. So the women in my practice um, 
will often report to me that they had no idea that their bones were going to be affected by menopause. I think that's a huge black hole here that we need to address <laughs> in, in looking at menopause. And so they're surprised that when they have their first DEXA scan, which usually is not even prescribed until, you know, 60s, um, which is way past menopause, that they have lost all this bone density. Let's talk a little bit more about bone health because it really is important at this time of life. The first four years of menopause is when the most bone loss will occur. Uh, but the actual amount, of course, will vary from person to person. A DEXA scan is a fairly accurate test of bone density. It is basically a simple x-ray, and it's not painful at all to do. However, there is a lot more to bone health than just the density. But density is the one thing that we can measure the best. Fragility and sort of twistability are properties that we cannot measure. And what we really care about is the fracture risk. And as Mary Beth emphasizes, we really want to stay active. Weight-bearing exercise is terrific. Not that I don't recommend swimming for general health. It's fabulous for cardiovascular health. But alas, for bone strengthening, it's not the best exercise. You also want to be really thinking about calcium. We have learned that women who get their calcium from food sources absorb it a lot better than women who take supplements. So if you can aim towards three dairy helpings throughout the day and low-fat foods are fine, that's great. The best calcium source vegetables are broccoli and kale. Vitamin D is also important and there is evidence for taking a supplement. Now, there are certain substances which can really compromise bone health. Cigarette smoking is right up there, along with alcohol. Certain medications, although really necessary for certain health issues, can be detrimental to bone health. Steroids, like many women take for asthma or arthritis, can lead to bone loss. And in one of the great peculiarities of life, the only bad thing about being slim is that it can increase your risk of bone loss. Simple things to remember, fat tissue actually makes estrogen. So slim women lose more bone than heavier women, as the estrogen helps slow down the breakdown of bone. You can probably tell this is a big topic, so there's more information about bone health and menopause in our bonus episode. What would Mary Beth say to women turning the corner into menopause now? What I would share with someone who's entering this phase of life is that, you know, that it's going to happen. Just come in with your eyes wide open that this is a phase just like we went through already in puberty. You know, it's just the opposite end of the of the spectrum. And there's some really beautiful things on the other end, and it's going to last for a little while. But start to really focus on taking care of yourself. I think a lot of us enter this stage having sort of given up sometimes some of our own, um, the focus on ourselves, we've taken care of family or a job or, you know, sort of offloaded all this focus when we need to really focus on ourselves and, and not in a selfish way, but in a, in a really self-care way, you know, like focus on exercise and eating well and, and start to notice how these things affect you. You know, use these things as a practice of a mirror, like whether you're feeling better having a walk or doing yoga or, you know, look at, look at what it feels like after you've had that glass of wine, what's working and what's not working for us. 
Do whatever makes you feel cared for from your own self. It doesn't have to come from external things. Our life can be measured in relationships. We have heard from Mary Beth about her interactions with her mother and her friends, her niece and daughter, and how this can have an impact on how you feel about menopause and reaching midlife. Here's a final thought from Mary Beth. You know, I'm now I'm much more aware of women our age that that are going through it and noticing sort of this camaraderie. <laughs> that's that's you know we're in this new club of postmenopausal women, and um, and then the women who are going through it. I have much more compassion for that. I notice with um, even like with my husband, you know, he's. Um, he had to go through it with me too and have to deal with all that and um, and it was eye-opening for him as well he didn't he didn't grow up with you know understanding what was going on with his mom when that was going on you know he didn't know any of that so he had to go through it with me and understand what the changes were for me and us and our relationship you know thank you so much to Mary Beth for sharing her story with us today I hope it inspires you to take good care of yourself as well as the relationships that strengthen and support you. Regular, open conversations with your healthcare provider will help to ensure that you're healthy and there are a whole host of treatment options which can be tailored to you. I'm Mary Jane Minkin, and thanks for joining us today. Check out our show notes at menopauseunmuted.com. And in our next episode, we'll be listening to Barbara's story. You know, this is menopause, and you have to learn to make friends with your symptoms. And I sort of embraced that that philosophy was that you know what's the you know this is better than the alternative (laughs) having menopause. So uh, it's a fact of life. It's a passage in life. It's a phase in life. And make friends with the symptoms uh, as best you can, and deal with it. Don't suffer in silence. Don't worry about speaking up about your menopause. Women should be able to discuss menopause with their healthcare providers. A woman can speak out about menopause with her OBGYN, primary care provider, nurse practitioner, or midwife. There are even designated menopause practitioners that a woman can visit if she needs more information. Special thanks to the Women's Health Team Advisor and to Studio Health for producing the series. Talk soon. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to replace discussions with a healthcare provider. Please speak with your healthcare provider regarding any health questions. The opinions expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the individuals recorded and not necessarily opinions endorsed by Pfizer. The women in this podcast are participating voluntarily and have not been compensated for their appearance. The host has been compensated by Pfizer. This podcast is only intended for residents of the United States. This podcast is powered by Pfizer.